0: Different cultural groups see truth differently, and it influences the way those cultures work. So if you look at immigrant groups that come from cultural groups which see truth as something that should be determined by people who spent their entire lives studying it and then are certified by a central bureaucracy, like the Catholic cultural groups, those cultural groups throughout U.S. history have created the dominant immigrant criminal syndicates within the U.S., whether you're talking about the Irish mafia or the Italian mob or the, the current hi- Hispanic criminal groups, if you're talking about immigrant criminal groups. Now I'm not talking about native born American criminal groups. If you look at other criminal groups that have come into the United States, but weren't from countries that strongly felt that way, they, they, they had a bit of presence like the Yakuza, for example, or the triad, but they never really got that big. And then you could be like, Oh, but here's something that counters you. What about the Russian mob? But The Russian mob came from an Orthodox church country and all Orthodox religions also like the Catholic cultural groups believe that truth should be determined by people who spent their entire life studying it and then have been certified by a central bureaucracy. Would you like to know more?
1: Prepare for trouble.
0: And make it double.
1: To protect the world from devastation.
0: To unite all peoples within our nation.
1: To denounce the evils of truth and
0: love. To extend our reach to the stars above. Jesse. James. Team Rocket blasts off at the speed of light. Surrender now or prepare to fight.
1: Meow. That's right.
0: (laughs) So we had done that and another one of our uh, things is like our personal motto. Because all of the, the, the parts of the song really extend to aspects of our philosophy whether it's extending our resources to above or seeing love as an intrinsically evil thing, which we have talked about in other episodes and which we'll certainly do a longer episode on at some point. I mean, is there anything more perverse than a marriage based on love? It's, 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 the only reason we feel it is because our ancestors who felt it had more surviving offspring. And even if you take a religious perspective on this, the devil can use love to manipulate you. Like, what a better emotion to manipulate people, right? Especially love for a human over love of God or Christ, right? That's, that's an evil thing. So the idea that even from a secular or a theological perspective, from our cultural perspective at least, maybe not all cultural perspectives, but from ours, love is typically, at the very least, something to be suspicious of. But the one point we haven't really gotten over here is the evils of truth. And so I want to talk and take this episode to talk about how we see truth, how the diversity of perspectives on truth. And yeah, I, I think right now we're at a turning point civilizationally for the concept of truth. Mm. And it's a turning point that is very similar to one we've gone through in the past. And I think we can learn from the last time we went through this. So if you look at society right now, you look at all these conspiracy theories that people have that keep coming up true. Like, people are like, oh, no. Conspiracy theories don't come up true. Yeah, now, do you remember how insane it was that the idea that there's these, like, cabals of pedophile among, like, the wealthy elite in our society? And now it's, like, after Epstein, it's like, oh. Oh, there, there was actually at least one major I mean, it
1: was just pedophile. one, Malcolm. It's fine. It's fine. You,
0: you think we would catch a lot of them? I mean, he messed up. I, I don't know. I would I look at all of them, do you think that, like all of these people had developed like these pedophilic habits and like this was their only source like you it's like a cop's like oh well we arrested a meth dealer in town there's no more meth here it's over
1: congratulations Um, the war on drug is this over
0: yeah people clearly only could buy meth from one person this is johnny the meth dealer there is it's in his name they can't they can't be buying meth from other people but i mean like eh, what i'm saying is we're and then with covid and the, the the whole vaccine rollout there was this thing in our society where two groups were forming right and we talk about this in this academic cult that runs our culture right now which is to say when people are trying to determine what's true in our society like the elite was in our society they go well look at look at this priest castle. look at the consensus what did they say the academics right like that is what is true within our society and when we've done episodes before on all the problems with academic research these days replicability crisis everything like that where things keep showing up wrong but anyway they say look at that right so the first group says look truth should be determined by people who have spent their entire lives studying a subject because like everyone can't study everything these days, right? And that these people should be certified by a central bureaucracy, because obviously we need some way to know which of them have like been studying longer. You can't just have somebody come out of nowhere and say like, I'm an expert in why, right? And then the other group in our society says, excuse me? That central bureaucracy is highly prone to corruption, and from all of this data, it looks like it's already pretty corrupt and is now just trying to serve an ideology rather than an objective truth about reality, and therefore truth should always be best determined by an individual. And a lot of people look at this and they're like, well, this looks like it's headed for disaster. Like Society's never been through this before, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like We as a world have gone through this before. This world where one organization says truth should best be determined by people who spent their entire life studying it and have been certified by a central bureaucracy. And then a second group says, well, that central bureaucracy is prone to corruption. That's what the reformation was. Like we've gone through this before, but we haven't just gone through it once. And this is where it gets really interesting. Is both of these perspectives on truth have merit to them. Both of these perspectives have an element of utility to them. And I think that societies that have both of them actually work better than societies that lean to just one or just the other. An example of a society that left just to trust the experts was China. And that's where you ended up getting zero COVID, was like people being welded in their apartments and like starving to death. Like horrible scenarios came out of saying, well, we need to trust the experts because then when reality doesn't align with what the experts are saying, You begin to get this doubling down and doubling down because, well, then you've overturned your priesthood cast right? And to a lot of people who have obtained that level of power, the very last thing they want to do is to lose that level of power. But if you have this constant questioning of authority, well, then you have the other problem, which is spiraling into conspiracy theories and flat eartherness and, and, and like the most extremes of wacky conspiracy theories because everything needs to be questioned. But these aren't the only two frameworks for understanding truth.
1: Well, and actually, yeah. So let's back up and let's give some context. And I think actually something that foundationally influenced the way that both of us came to view truth and it, believe it or not, has to do with Jesus. Um, That was really what changed the way that I look at truth. And I think it influenced you too, whether or not you want to admit it. So the teaching company, a.k.a. Wondrium, a.k.a. The Great Courses, has a really great lecture series on the historical Jesus. It is done by a professor who attempts to go through Jesus as uh, the life of Jesus as a historical figure so setting aside faith belief anything else you know what what can we know from a historical perspective only about the apocalyptic Jew known as Jesus
0: well whether he is an apocalyptic Jew would be up for debate but this theory typically argues he is continue
1: right and what's what I think was very foundational in that lecture series for both you and and for me, though me much later because I think you listened to it as much younger youth, and so it like shaped your perception, and you don't realize like it's like accepted your perception of what truth should be, how truth can be discerned, is the lecturer goes through all these criteria for truth. That can be used to determine what is more likely to be historically accurate about the life of Jesus, and what is less likely to be historically accurate about the life of Jesus. And these criteria can easily be transferred to pretty much any domain. And it's some. they're they're criteria that we absolutely use outside biblical scholarship, at least like Malcolm and Simone, that is to say. Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't say everyone necessarily uses these criteria, but actually I really wish that they did because they're very good for determining truth. And I think that a lot of the, even earlier in our relationship before, before you had me listen to the historical Jesus lecture series, actually, we had a much more rudimentary breakdown of how truth was discerned it was more like well do we believe scientific consensus do we believe our own personal feelings do we believe like some other criteria but now we have a much more sophisticated sort of listing and that i think is broadly inspired by this course like oh what are some of the criteria like the one for dis- so it liter- we,
0: we actually have a whole list of these within the pragmatist guide to crafting religion but essentially we have created our own metric for determining truths within the culture that we're building for ourselves and our kids that we think works within this modern era, which is to say, to draw information from both personal experience and the expert consensus, but filter any information that's coming from the expert consensus through certain rules to determine how high quality that information is. With an example of like a really obvious one being like, does this support or does it go against an agenda that would advance the careers of the individual saying it. So if a scientist is saying something that could get them fired, it's more likely to be true than something that supports the ideological agenda, which is dominant within academia. In the same way that if an oil company said, yes, global warming is real, and we need to do something about it, that would be very like, oh, shoot. But if it it says oh no, don't worry about global warming or about cigarette Somebody he said, oh no, no, the cigarettes don't cause cancer. Like I could largely ignore that, right? Another mm-hmm. is to look for largely unrelated sources which are showing the same thing. So one would be something like, are insurance rates going up around like women driving cars versus men. And then like a scientific paper says women are worse drivers than men. Then I could be like, okay, so women are probably worse drivers than men. Right. Or you can look at the, the criteria of genuine care. So insurance companies are very good uh, selectors of this and that an insurance company, when it's pricing things genuinely cares. Like if an insurance company says do this to be healthier, they likely care a lot more than like a a generally random person. An example of a a weird one you might see was like historical Jesus, which I really liked and and was really meaningful to me, is a a piece of information that seems sus when you first hear it. And seems a little weird when you first hear it. But as you get more information on it, begins to make a lot more sense in a way that the people who were conveying that to you clearly didn't understand. So here's an example, Jesus born in a manger, right? Like in, in his, why would you send them to the barn to have kids? Why wouldn't they have kids in the house? Like if the house is there, like at the, some ladies having you, you literally like go put her with the animals. Why would you do that? Right. And this seemed very weird to me. Then I went to Israel and I looked at houses that were common from around that period. And all of a sudden I was like, this makes perfect sense. So the way that the houses were designed during that period was sort of like a, often the, the one, one style of it was to build them into like the sides of hills or something. And so they'd be semicircular like this or, or just like huts that were semicircular like this. And then down the middle, there would be a division. And on this side of the house is where all of the people would sleep. Like there was no need for individual rooms or anything. I mean, this was very, very primitive. So everyone would basically sleep in a pile. And then on the other side of the divide is where the animals would stay, right? And of course, oh, all of the family sleeps on this side of the divide. Anything that's not family sleeps on this side of the divide. So that would translate into modern tongue in the manger. But historically, it was where the animals stay which makes a lot of sense when you see it and you're like, okay, so this is probably accurate to where this would have happened. Another example here would be the criteria of like embarrassment, or you would say like something you you probably wouldn't want. So these are people talking about, okay, this is a son of God being born. Well, you're probably not gonna say he was born in a manger, like where animals are, right? Like he's the king of kings in, in, in their interpretation. Like that seems like it doesn't fit the agenda. You would probably say he was, if you were just making up a story from nowhere, you would say, oh, he was born to a king or to a secret king or something like that right like born to poor people in a manger like no that's that's not what you would come up with especially now today because christianity has influenced the world so much and victim narratives are really important and like oh this person came from nothing to be something that was not a common story motif of that time period it was a common story motif that somebody was secretly born of a king and then grew up with nothing right like that was a common story motif but born of like actual like not that important people and then grow up to be something that was not a common story motif at the time so so that's that's what we're talking about there but anyway yeah i just
1: i I think that it's really interesting like i think multiple attestation is there too like is this story told and also how is it told similarly in different Mm. gospels like i i can't remember exactly how it went but like different gospels have like jesus writing in on one donkey, on two donkeys, like there's like different donkey scenarios and sort of like- Well,
0: probably a better way to word what you're saying is if across gospels, it looks like Whenever you see similarities, you see almost it in the exact same words. Well, yeah,
1: then then it's then it's less credible because they're just copy pasting. Yeah, they were copy pasta, it doesn't get as much credibility. But when you do have the story told in slightly different ways that that don't seem as copied or that that sound pretty unique, but they have many like core similarities, then it's like, oh well, something around this might have
0: happened. Well, and that's true today when you're looking at press releases. Mm. Like where you'll see a bunch of sources. Like if ever I see almost the exact same set of words used across right. news stories yeah. Yeah. I assume that they're pulling from the same source which yeah. could be something that like the Republican Party or the Democratic Party is pushing out there some kind of or, press release yeah, yeah some kind of basically press release or organized press campaign and then I basically disregard everything that's said there and then there's other weird things we use like the criteria of shot calling. like if somebody says this unlikely thing is going to happen like I stake my career on it and then that unlikely thing happens I can basically trust almost everything they say after that a lot more Exactly. Um, uh, so anyway, we, we've gone over that, but, but here's where it gets interesting is different cultural groups see truth differently and it influences the way those cultures work. So really interesting thing is if you look at cultural groups, so like let's look at the U.S. right now, right? So if you look at immigrant groups that come from cultural groups, which see truth as something that should be determined by people who spent their entire lives studying it and then are certified by a central bureaucracy, Those cultural groups throughout U.S. history have created the dominant immigrant criminal syndicates within the U.S., whether you're talking about the Irish mafia or the Italian mob or the the current Hispanic criminal groups. If you're talking about immigrant criminal groups. Now, I'm not talking about pre-existing native-born American criminal groups. If you look at other criminal groups that have come into the United States but weren't from countries that strongly felt that way, they they, they had a bit of presence, like the Yakuza, for example, or the Triad, but they never really got that big. And then you could be like, oh, but here's something that counters you. What about the Russian mob? But... The Russian mob came from an Orthodox Church country, and all Orthodox religions also, like the Catholic cultural groups, believe that truth should be determined by people who spend their entire life studying it, and then have been certified by a central bureaucracy. Why does this happen? I suspect the criminal aspect is largely ancillary or irrelevant to the phenomenon. What you're actually seeing is just the groups organizing themselves, into a structured hierarchy organically, and because they are often on the outs with society, given that they are recent immigrant groups, that structured hierarchy ends up becoming a criminal hierarchy. That's the phenomenon that we're seeing here. And again, I'm saying, both of these, the Protestant extreme also has its craziness. Again, they also often go up on crazy conspiracy theories. That's, that's what happens when you, when you question everything. It's, it's also not stable to base an entire country just around that. But what's really interesting is you can also see different country outcomes. So if you look at countries where the dominant cultural group is, we trust authority, his, like we trust the people who spent their entire life studying something, those cultural groups were the longest holdout monarchies in Europe largely speaking, and the the quickest conversion to democracies within Europe or democracy-like structures were the cultural groups that were predominantly Protestant. Mm -hmm. And dictatorships seem to happen in countries that this dominant cultural group believes in, let's have truths determined by the people who spent their entire life studying a subject. In fact, if you look at Protestant-majority countries outside of Africa, only one has ever stayed a dictatorship for over seven years. And that is somewhere in East Asia, I don't remember where it is. But, but it, it, it's very interesting where when you look at Catholic majority countries around the world or Orthodox majority countries around the world, they seem much more likely to form dictatorships. And so what we would argue is actually the idea country, and this is why we're so pro pluralism, is you want a pluralistic understanding of what truth is. But again, these aren't the only two systems for truth. So Jews have a completely different system for truth, which is really, really fascinating. We could do a whole different session on this, but again, I I believe it's really well illustrated by the snake oven story, which I've gone over in another video just really quickly. Three rabbis are having a disagreement. One rabbi said, this this oven is not kosher. The other two say it is kosher. One or the other, I don't remember which way. The one who disagrees with the other two, he's like, look, I can prove to you that God's on my side. And he points out he does a bunch of miracles. Like the rain will flow upwards. They're like, yeah, I I get that God agrees with you. But it's not what the letter of the law says. (laughs) Therefore, it is. And and then God basically comes down. He's like, ah, my own children have bested me. And what he's saying is basically, this is not my jurisdiction. Thank you for calling me out on that. And that this is an ultra legalistic understanding of truth, which is to say, and and here's where you can see this in terms of identity, right? So our kids, Simone is matrilineally Jewish, like your grandmother is Jewish, basically. But from our perspective, your culture is, is a mix of the different people who make you up. Yet when I talk to Orthodox Jewish people about my kids, they're like, no, your kids are Jewish. I'm like, well, I mean, they're barely Jewish. And they're like, no, technically they're Jewish. They're Jewish, especially if you raise them Jewish. Like we've talked about sending them to to Jewish schools or whatever, because good schools in our areas, They're, they're definitely Jewish then. And I think that that really shows this different understanding of truth. Now, the Jewish understanding of truth is actually a lot more nuanced than just legalism because to say it's legalism also really misstates it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more, I, I describe it more like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Earth is this giant computer where if everyone does their roles, then it will come out to a correct answer. And so it's more like truth is a cultural machine than truth is any in the legalism itself truth is the cultural conversation and that is why sort of the rabbinic debate is so important within jewish culture's understanding of truth and Mm -hmm. then another example of truth is quaker understanding of truth so quaker understanding of truth is truth is this fire that burns within every individual and truth is what moves you or the little voice inside your head like it is your emotion speaking to you that is truth yes truth is best determined at the personal level but truth isn't best determined by an objective investigation of reality truth is best determined by how you feel whereas Mm -hmm. if you look at the calvinist understanding of truth truth is and that's my cultural tradition and it's, it's simone's predominant cultural tradition truth is best determined by personal research but personal like scientific research of reality and this is where again like you see the catholic perception of truth actually being much better so if you look during the witch trials or the inquisition the catholic inquisition was actually pretty kind in that yes they did some harsh stuff but they very much still believed in interviewing lots of witnesses. They believed in discounting witness testimony if those witnesses seemed like they had quarrels with the community. But then you had the Calvinist communities, which were the Puritan communities in the U.S. And these communities almost didn't really believe that people could lie. Like, they didn't believe that anyone from their culture would lie. So if anyone was saying anything, well, it must be true. Like, one, that was where they just, like, spiraled into psychoness really quickly. But then the second was is that they believed that they could investigate reality through like natural experiments. Mm-hmm. They're like, ah, the world is very ordered. So what we're gonna do is, well, witches must resist the baptism, right? Like, because they can't be accepted to, to Christ. So like, if we throw them in water, they're gonna flow, right? Because they resist water. And so let's try that. That would be a good way to test if someone's a witch. And you didn't you saw this a little bit within, but this didn't really happen that much within within the the Catholic Inquisition. One, they didn't even really believe in witches at all. It was more like, let's find heretics. So it's much more like moderated and learned. And that's the thing with expert consensus. It is really prone to corruption, but the answers it comes to for reality are always going to be much more moderated and Mm. less insane then the answers that can come to predominate within cultural groups with like my own, the thing that you should always investigate everything independently. And this is why I think that pluralistic cultural groups like the U.S., where you have both of these cultural groups to a large extent living in harmony and working together, that's where you're going to get the best answers. That's where you have the least chance of either a dictatorship forming or a a mob that that goes off and does crazy things uh, forming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, also don't forget about the the criteria of truth that you like the least, which is that most associated with like modern woke progressivism, which you like to call in the pragmatist's guide to crafting religion justicalism, right? Can you walk us through that?
0: Yeah, so it, many times within this community, you will see them like when they're trying to decide what's true about the world and there's a few possible paths of what could be true they choose what would make the world most fair. Mm -hmm. What a fair reality would create as truth. So if you're asking, are there systemic differences between like the way men and women process reality? They'll be like, well, it wouldn't be fair if there were systemic differences, therefore Mm -hmm. there aren't systemic differences. Mm -hmm. Even if it like clashes with other aspects of their worldview you see this over and over again within the woke community. And it's not everyone who's in the woke community, but there's definitely a portion of the woke community that does practice justicalism. And it, it it's terrifying to me because it can lead to uh, a lot worse outcomes for everyone, mm. but outcomes really don't matter in how they're determining truth. So I look at the way that Protestants try to determine truth, and I'm like, I get that. I may, I may think that it could use some tweaks, but I get why they do it that way. I look at the way Catholics determine truth, I'm like, yeah, that seems like logically consistent. I can see how it can lead to abuse, but like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like they're genuinely trying to get to a good answer for the world. I look mm-hmm. at the way it's choose trees, and, and I'm like, like this is one of the oldest, most successful cultural traditions in human history. Like yeah. they're, they're clearly on to something. Then I look at the way that Jessica's, it's like, this doesn't even seem to be like, honestly trying to help people. It just seems to be trying to protect their self identity as good people. And this is where, when I look at the world and I'm like, there's a diversity, I think that we do well within a diverse world. And a lot of people are like, how dare you say these different groups see truth differently, right? It's like, what's the point of diversity if everyone secretly sees the world the same way? Like the point of diversity is that we see things differently. That is where strength and diversity comes from. Yeah, that,
1: here, one second though, I'm just going to push back. I think the, the core of justicalism is maybe that if you, choose to see truth that way that you can make it that way i think it's a sort of manifesting i mean and this is a more spiritual group right like my good faith interpretation of that criteria for truth is i'm going to believe for example that there are no differences between men and women and then that belief will indeed shape whether or not there are differences and some of that's based in science like understanding of the placebo effect and understanding of the power of narratives and examples but i think that that there's also this you like I said, element of it. So I think that a lot of it's like, I just want, I want there to be a world in which that's true. And so I'm going to believe it's true until it becomes true.
0: I, I no? disagree with you. I think it's all about protecting their ego and protecting their image as virtuous <sighs> people, no matter what they do. I don't and think I so. want people in the comments to, to, to weigh in on this, which, yeah. which side of this. <sighs> and then again, I want to, I want to point out before we leave, like these are all like, Obviously, not everyone from these cultural groups sees truth this way. We're just talking about the way these cultural groups differ from each other. Because I think that through looking at the way they differ from each other, we can learn things that are especially pertinent to our current time with this current debate over the system of truth our society is using. If we can look to historic parallels, there's a lot we can use, especially in building new and potentially better systems or in coming to appreciate why even if I don't understand different people's understanding of truth, I can appreciate that our society is stronger for having that diversity because I can look historically and see what happens when we lack that diversity, whether it's the Puritan colonies or the historic Catholic church.
1: Well, all I can say, Malcolm, is I know one thing is true and that that is you are a sexy beast. And I know it because of your face. That is my criterion of truth i love you i think that's so subjective
0: much. that's subjective it's but no truth. it's not subjective that you are a sexy beast it is subjective that i am because my perspective on reality is the ruler from which truth is measured and all truth is determined by how far it differentiates from my perspective of reality <laughs> and within my perspective of reality you're a sexy beast so that's good <sighs>
1: How convenient. (laughs) I love you, gorgeous. Looking forward to our next conversation.